Welcome to Casting Hope, a sermon podcast of Hope Presbyterian Church in Columbus, Ohio. My name is Joe Hack, lead pastor at Hope, and we are so glad you're listening in wherever you are. In this moment of social distancing, we hope that our audio and streaming resources meet you where you are at and help you stay connected to God and to His promises. All right, let's just uh, go ahead and grab our Bibles. If you're following along and you have a Bible, and turn with me to Matthew 28, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28, starting in verse 16 this morning. So we are casting vision as a church, as you know, and to do this, we're looking 10 years into the future, and we're asking this question. If you are able to visit Hope in 2031... What would you notice about us? What are our unique commitments as a church? And so what we're doing is we're sharing with you what we hope you would notice in 10 years time. And so far we've shared four commitments, the integration of faith and work, the cultivation of deep spiritual formation, the initiation of redemptive hospitality, and the connection of church and campus. Today we're exploring a fifth commitment, and that is the commission of every member. And to do this, we're going to look at what's called the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 19. It's probably a very familiar passage to you if you grew up in church, uh, but I would love for you to engage this text with fresh eyes this morning, if that's you. You can follow along as I read the text, and then we'll pray uh, and get started. This is God's Word. Now... The eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so Lord, with the words of my mouth and with the meditation of all of our hearts this morning, be pleasing and acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. And Holy Spirit, would you uh, give us your empowering presence this morning. As I preach, would you empower your word? so that it would land in our hearts and stick there and change us. In Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. Well, the first two decades of my life, I think it's safe to say that I lived for myself. I had a self-focused orientation. Even though I went to church, and even though I would have definitely called myself a Christian, the truth is I lived for myself. But Jesus, He intervened in my life. I experienced his gracious welcome, and then from then on, there was a moment where I resolved to live for him. This was around the time, thereabouts, of college, and I made many friends in college who had the same story. They lived for themselves all of their life, and then suddenly Jesus intervened, and they wanted from that moment forward to live for Jesus. Now, living for Jesus was straightforward in my college years. But as we neared graduation, we encountered a problem, me and my friends. 
What does it mean to live for Jesus outside of college? What does it mean to live for Jesus in the so-called real world? If we pursue a normal job, are we just living for ourselves again? Or does living for Jesus mean that we have to become some kind of professional Christian, like a missionary? And this produced in us one of two emotions, guilt or pride. So guilt for those who decided to graduate and then go into the workforce, feeling like they're um, living for themselves again, maybe. But pride for those who, like me, became a professional Christian or who became a missionary. Somehow I felt like I was closer to the heart of God because of my pursuit of ministry in in a professional sense. Well, this dilemma is nothing new in the life of the church. We actually have a long history of doing this. We tend to elevate pastors and missionaries to a higher spiritual status, and we call them clergy. And then everybody else is called lay people. Uh, Laity comes from the Greek word for people, and it came to mean, mean over time common. Common. Laity is common. And I mean, who wants to be common for Jesus, You have over here the super common and you have up here the super spiritual, which can create a two class system in church and say what we will about how wrong it is. We still tend to live in this two class system. You have first class Christians like missionaries and then you have everybody else. And this is a problem because it implies that lay people over here are not missionaries over here. It implies that lay people, if they have anything to do with missionaries, they support the missionaries. Uh, they support them with their prayers. They support them with their money. And look, that is true. If you are a professional missionary, if you are somebody who is, who is uh, being a missionary and relying upon the support of others, there is truth to that. We even see that in Scripture, and it's an important piece to how the gospel goes forth. It's through the sending of missionaries across the world. But what can happen is we can start to have the strict divide between lay people and missionaries. But in our passage that we just read, Jesus commissions his disciples, which is a radical thing, actually, and breaks this division down in some ways that maybe we're not used to. It means that every single disciple of Jesus is commissioned by Jesus. If you follow Jesus in any way, if you're worshiping with us this morning, you are following him on mission, on his mission. If you are saved by Jesus, then you are saved for his mission. If you have been called by God, you are called into his mission. Now, I want you to understand this by thinking about uh, being a part of a backpacking trip. Just imagine yourself on a backpacking trip that gets lost in the wilderness. And then a rescue team sets out to find you. And when things seem hopeless for you, you are suddenly found. You are suddenly saved. You are suddenly rescued. But then what? What happens next? The rescue team looks at you and says, join us. Join us. There is more to be done. There is more to be found. We need to find the rest of your backpacking team. 
That's salvation according to God. We're not just rescued and then we're just sort of, yay, I'm rescued. No, we're actually rescued to take part in God's rescue mission. And we each have a unique way that we take part in that mission. We talked about this with vocation weeks ago, and I would encourage you to listen to those messages if you've not already. See, for some, taking part in this mission, this rescue mission, is planting churches. Planting churches in the city and planting churches across the globe. For others, it's through their paid work. For others, it's through their unpaid work. Regardless, every single person who is a disciple of Jesus is commissioned by Jesus. And so part of our mission as a church is that every member understands themselves as a missionary. The way we want to put this is this way. Every member a missionary. For some of you, this will be a unique calling, as I said, to global mission. For most of you, this will be a unique calling to local mission. You are a missionary, no matter who you are. You are a missionary to your neighborhood. You are a missionary to wherever God has you right now. Do you know that? Do you realize that? You are a missionary. Every member a missionary. Because why? We all have the same commission. Too often this passage that we just read, this great commission, is put on the top shelf and it's reserved for professional Christians. But what if each and every one of you took these words to heart? Not just, you know, people like me who are preaching right now, but all of you. In other words, if you started to see yourself as a missionary this morning, if you started to take these words for yourself, not just for others, then what kind of missionary would you become? That's the question I want to ask this morning. Next week, Aaron Badenhop will be exploring uh, scripture with us to explore the urgency of our mission. This morning, I want to ask the question, what kind of missionary would we be if we took this to heart? And I want to give you two words to think about this morning from this text. I want to give you the word slow and the word secure. Slow and secure. I think the first thing that we would see from this commission is it would take us and it would make us into, uh, into a kind of missionary that appreciates Slowness. Slowness. I want to say the Great Commission is a slow commission. It's not instant, is what I mean. If you look again at verses 19 and 20, you'll see Jesus, the resurrected Lord, saying, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. The theologian Frederick Darrell Bruner, he makes this point that Jesus could have used quick and dynamic and explosive words to describe our commission. But instead, Jesus uses slow words. He makes that point. Jesus uses slow words. Disciple. By baptizing and by teaching. Bruner says, quote, disciple means take your time with them. Work carefully with them. Bring them along gently. I think he's right. 
I think he's right. Jesus tells us to make disciples of all nations. There's nobody and there is no place that is outside the scope of all nations. This connects actually the commission of Jesus uh, to God's original commission in Genesis chapter 1 when he says, Go out and reflect my glory. Reflect my glory as little mirrors. Steward this earth in a way that glorifies me, that reflects who I am to all of the world. We, of course, in our sin became shattered mirrors and we love to reflect our own glory instead. But what Jesus does is Jesus comes in this moment and he restores our mirrors. He bends them back up to the Lord so that we are now commissioned again as his redeemed ones to participate in his original mission. To reveal and to extend the glory of God across the earth as the waters cover the sea. We see this sort of commission even in uh, Genesis 12 when, when God calls to himself Abram. He says, he says uh, bless the nations. So here we have Jesus basically not saying something brand new, but saying something that is renewed. He is renewing the original commission that we has always had. And he's saying, bless the world with the news of Jesus. Go, therefore. Your mirrors are being restored. And as you are being restored, you are reflecting my glory out. Talk about me. Share me. Make disciples of me. But here, this is what I want you to notice. This doesn't happen instantly. It can't happen instantly. Discipleship is slow work. Think about Jesus, the perfect disciple maker. And if you look at his disciples, which we will in a minute here, you will notice that even for Jesus, the perfect disciple maker, it is slow work. It took time. He was patient. And even as he rose from the dead and ascended to the Father, it was still incomplete until he were, was to return again. Until he is to return again. It is slow. Discipleship is slow work. Um, so is baptism. And so is teaching. These, uh, Jesus says his main command in this is basically make disciples. It's not go, it's make disciples. To go is sort of a verbal add-on to make disciples. That's the, the core thrust of what he's doing in this commission. He's saying that I am turning all of my disciples into disciple makers. All of my disciples are disciple makers. Are you in discipleship with Jesus? That means that you are also a disciple maker. You disciple people not to yourself. You disciple people to Jesus. And that is slow work. The, the, the two verbs that he uses to sort of clarify that work for you and for me is baptizing and teaching. Baptism, of course, means so much, but it means fundamentally becoming a member of the community of Jesus. It's about taking on the name of the triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. You take it on. You're stamped with it. As we, as we talk about it, you put on the ring. This is now your core identity. You are in the family of God. You are now identified by the commun community of God. And what is true about community life? It is slow. What is true about family life? It is messy. It is committed and it is messy and it is slow. Discipleship is slow. And teaching is slow. It's slow work. If you're a teacher, you know this. 
You can't just teach somebody a subject in one week. I took two, what was it? It was six-week Greek. I took six-week Greek in seminary, and guess what? It didn't stick. Why? Because you're not supposed to learn a language in six weeks. Teaching is slow. Teaching is slow. God knows this. He designed our brains uh, to sort of uh, have neural pathways that take time to take grooves, to dig deep grooves, and to learn and to sort of embody what it is that we're learning. The word I love, and I've heard pastors use this word instead of discipleship, and it gets really at the core of what we're talking about, is apprenticeship. I love it. I've heard pastors say, apprenticeship with Jesus, my apprenticeship with Jesus. And I love that phrase because it gets after the slowness, the patience of Jesus with us. He teaches us the same thing over and over and over and over again. When he says teaching to obey everything I've commanded, this takes time. This takes time. This is a slow apprenticeship. The Great Commission is a slow commission. Uh, The past month, I acquired two uh, new culinary uh, tools. I love to cook, as many of you know. I acquired a small blender, and I acquired a slow cooker. Our grill uh, fell over in a windstorm and broke, and so I got um, a kettle cooker. One thing makes instant food. The other takes a long time by design. And I'm afraid that we view church and discipleship with Jesus as the blender, not the slow cooker. The blender is our motto. The blender is our image. Uh, If we just have the right ingredients, the right people in place with the right gift gift, gift sets, if we have all the right resources, and everybody's in place, and then we put the lid on it, and we press blend, boom, in about five minutes, we have the finished product. But this is a recipe for shallow spirituality and for eventual burnout. And we want to be a church that is a commissioned church. That means we will be, as some people have put it, a slow church. A slow church. We will will be a church that pursues apprenticeship with Jesus We will pursue others in apprenticeship, and we will understand that this is slow. What does this mean for you? Well, it means if you start to understand your Christian identity as a missionary, then you will need to get used to slow work. And that may be hard for us in our instant culture. Plotting is not a virtue these days. Two steps forward, one step back. Maybe one and a half step backs. Maybe one and 15 sixteenths steps back. Maybe two steps forward, three steps back. The point is, discipleship is slow. Embrace slow. Embrace plotting with Jesus. I love Eugene Peterson, who quotes, I think, Nietzsche, but the, the phrase is amazing. It's a long obedience in the same direction. It's a long obedience in the same direction. Our plotting may be slow, but it is in the same direction. We're going towards Jesus. We're going with Jesus, and we're going towards that day when he will come again to make all things new. I want to say also be patient with others. If your discipleship with Jesus is an apprenticeship that takes time, community, and is always 
incomplete, then that means that when you make disciples of others, you are committing to the long haul with them. It is a plot. You're committing to, to, to teaching them about the faith, about You're committing to investing in the community life that is the context within which we have this apprenticeship as baptized members of God's family. I think this means that we expect instant and permanent change in ourselves and in others, and so we get frustrated and we give up. But I want to ask you, how does Jesus disciple you? Does he give up? He doesn't give up. He's like a really, really good dad who who keeps on teaching uh, their their child how to ride a bike. Or a really good art teacher. I married the one who spends every day teaching a new skill. And when when that student struggles, fails, makes mistakes, doesn't turn in their homework, there is a posture of commitment that the teacher has. And same with Jesus. That's how he disciples you. That's how we disciple others. It's slow. And I want to say this lastly, slow work has to start somewhere. And so let me just ask you this question right off the bat as we cast vision here. Are you making disciples? Are you? Where can you start? If you have children, are you discipling them? Making disciples starts with sharing the news of Jesus with others. It means coming alongside others in the church and regularly pointing to them the faithfulness of Jesus. In 10 years, we want to be a church where every member sees themselves as a missionary. We want to be a church that is digging deep into discipleship. And if we're that kind of church, we will be a slow community that is in apprenticeship with Jesus and each other. All right, so the Great Commission is a slow commission. I want to wrap this up, though, by reminding you that the Great Commission is a secure commission. It's secure. Take a look again in our passage. In verse 16, the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which God has directed them. Now, Amazing things, it's been pointed out, happened on mountains. And so this is nothing less. In verse 17, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted, the scripture says. Some doubted. And Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And then he says, go therefore and make disciples. But at the end, in verse 20, he says, behold... I am with you always to the end of the age. So I want you to notice in this passage, we see the command. We see the commission. We hang out in the go. We hang out in the make. We go hang out in the, in the baptize. We hang out in the teach. We see these go, 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 do, do, do words. And we miss the entire context in which these commands come at us. He sandwiches his commission with assurance. He says, first, all authority has been given to me. And then he wraps it up with, I am with you always. I am with you always. That is a security sandwich. That is a a, a safe in which the commands live. That, That is a security that is from God and God alone. God is saying, Jesus is saying here, you have my love 
Now go on mission. He's not saying go on mission so that you might have my love. We're not missionaries for his love. We're missionaries in our core because of his love. As my friend used to say, I'm just a beggar pointing out to other folks where there's food store. I'm I'm amazed at what I found in Jesus and I want others to see it too and to experience too. That is a secure place. We're not not missionaries to earn God's love and I'm afraid many of us do that. We think, okay, God God told us to do this. I have to do this. I have to do this. If I don't do this, God's not going to love me. Uh, Jesus is going to reject me. And we sort of do all these things and out of fear we do all these things out of this this kind of existential dread that that God is going to reject us but the point here that Jesus is telling us is that no I I accept you I love you I, I, I bring all of who I am for you all of my authority is for you you know what like I am with you I promise to be with you and not on only your good days but every day until I come again and when you rest in that then something like this is good it is good to be under the lordship of Jesus and I want to tell others about it I want to make disciples this is a secure commission it's wrapped up utterly in security We're secure in His commission. His commission is given to us when we are a mess, not when we have it together. This is true. Look at verse 17. I love this detail. This is a prelude to the Great Commission, and I think Matthew makes sure we know this happens on purpose because Matthew's writing to early church, early disciples like you and like me, and and Matthew wants us to know who Jesus is talking to when He gives this commission. Verse 17 Uh, shows us that some were worshiping, some were doubtful. And it's this sort of divided doubtfulness that uh, people that Jesus entrusts to his project. One scholar says, quote, doubting worshipers are Jesus's material in mission. Doubting worshipers. This same scholar says, these are two words we usually don't put together, is it? Doubting worshipers. But that's who Jesus commissions. Doubting worshipers. Doubting worshipers. Remember, uh, Jesus goes to the 11 disciples. Who is among the 11 disciples? The arch failure Peter is among the 11 disciples. And Jesus entrusts his mission to, to him as well. I think that should give us security. That's who Jesus is commissioning when he gives us this I think we should be secure in his authority. He says he alone has been given all authority. That means we don't have it, and that is a good thing. We are not the king. We are not Jesus. We are not the Lord. We are not the capital E evangelizer. We are not We are not in charge. We're not. We're not in charge. And then, so we can drop all these things that we think we need to control. I know and I realize that the motto, every member of missionary, sounds intimidating. But guess what? We don't have any inherent authority whatsoever when it comes to sharing the welcome of Jesus with others. We're just simply pointing to Jesus, he who has all authority. This takes the pressure off, doesn't it? And then finally, I think we can be secure in his presence, his promised presence, what one writer calls his witness. 
his withness. We're not called to take part in his mission while he's on the sidelines. No, no, no. He is with us. There's a soccer coach in the Premier League uh, who wears like a brilliant suit and, and he sits far away, stands far away while his team dukes it out onto the field. And I think this is how we often view Jesus sometimes. Like he's in his clean suit, standing on the sidelines while we duke it out on his mission field. But that's, that's not what we see here. That's not at all what we hear from Jesus. Jesus says, I will be with you always. He's here by the Spirit, by the way, in the Pentecost, that moment when, when the Spirit comes onto God's people. We have the presence of Jesus by the Holy Spirit in a unique way, and it never leaves us. Which means that Jesus is not on the sideline. It means that Jesus is the striker. On the soccer team, Jesus is the striker. He's the one winning the game. We're just on the field with him. We're participating with him. And he gets glory by that. We're oftentimes kicking the ball in the other direction. You know what I mean? If you sometimes watch your kids in soccer, um, there's always players who kick the ball in the other direction, and everybody's like, that's, that's us. That's who we are on the team. Jesus, of course, is the striker. He wants to grant us the dignity of taking part in his rescue mission. And he does. He gives us all kinds of participation in it. And notice, the presence of Jesus that he promises us in this is, not, is, is to us every single day. Not just on our good days. In fact, I believe this, I, and I heard Jack Miller say this, that on our bad days, we are probably better equipped to share Jesus. Because he's the hero and we're not. On our good days, we'll probably be tempted to make much of us and our obedience when that's not at the heart of the commission. The heart of the commission is making disciples of Jesus, not disciples of us and how we are. No. Whenever we host folks in our home or in our backyard more recently, I I instantly get insecure about our home. I think, what are people thinking right now? Is it too dirty or is it too clean or is it too put together or is it, is it too messy? And so I think I spend so much time trying to get everything right before I invite somebody in to my life. I think this is how so many of us approach the Great Commission, isn't it? Which is why many of us stay on the sidelines. We think we need to have it together. But Jesus goes out of his way in Matthew goes out of his way to combat this idea. I think nothing kills witness like hyper self-awareness. But it is the eternal witness of Jesus that fuels our witness for Jesus. So to be a church where every member is a missionary, we need to constantly enjoy the witness of Jesus. The absolute non-contingent witness of Jesus. Jesus never asks you to witness to him by yourself. He is with you. Jesus wants to commission you no matter who you are and no matter where you are. And no matter how mixed your worship is with your doubts. The commission. The commissioning of every member. That's what we want to be about as a church. Remember, a commission is when you entrust your project with somebody else, and that's what God is doing here. If I have a house project, like even as simple as cutting grass, I can commission 
my child, for instance, to do it. I'm entrusting it to him or to her. And I'm inviting him or her to take part in my housing project. Now, if I was really concerned about mowing straight lines, cutting perfect hedges, then I would never, ever, 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 ever commission anybody else to do it. But Jesus does this. It's an unbelievable fact that Jesus calls you and calls me to make disciples. He commissions us to take part in his project of renewal and redemption. And he does that exactly where you are. You do not have to clean house first. Exactly where you are. You can use, you can come to him resting, secure. And so let's do that. Let's do that as a church. Let's be a slow church where we're, where we're engaging in disciple making, where we're on mission, sharing the good news of Jesus to others as missionaries, everyday missionaries, like we like to say. Let's do it in the security of Jesus. And so, Lord, would you make that true for all of us who are here and among us and 10 years down the road, Lord? Would we be known as a church that is making disciples, sharing your gospel as disciple makers, meeting one-on-one as disciple makers, gathering and worship as disciple makers, serving the community with mercy and acts of justice as disciple makers, sharing the hope that is within us to our colleagues and co-workers as disciple makers. Lord, would we do everything as disciple makers? We are grateful that we are disciples of you and that you are slow with us, patient with us, and you give us the security we need to do this. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. For more information about our church and for more resources like this, visit our website at hopechurchcolumbus.org.